Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Drinking beer in the morning. Fallacy words out of warning. Previously on Psychology 3306. Um, I can only relate that once a turn, but I do enjoy it. We were talking about this success approximations, shaking up the success approximations. Um, I talked about secondary reinforcers, which are basically you train the animal that that click of the feeder, the sound of the feeder, is reinforcing, it predicts food, right? So it's just a secondary, it's called a secondary reinforcer, right? You might think, well, animals are stupid, they do things for secondary reinforcers. So do I. Right? Money is a secondary reinforcer. You can't eat this. Right? It doesn't quench your thirst. It doesn't, well, it doesn't get you shelter. It doesn't get you sexual partners. But on a good day, maybe you'll do all those things. But it's a secondary reinforcer. I, I work for money. Right? I can sit here and talk about rewarding my career is all that's true, but I actually work for my paycheck. I wouldn't do it for nothing. So that's a secondary reinforcement. I then exchanged these portraits of past prime ministers and queens for goods and services like food and shelter. Right? So again, for primary reinforcers. And people will do things for this. Right? So it's not just all oh, animals are stupid. Yeah, they are, sure. But so are people. So the feeder click we use all the time, and it's funny to think that a feeder click would be reinforcing, but it's the same way that um, your dog will work for praise. Right? Oh, good dog. Dog doesn't know what the good means. I really don't think it does. But your dog, you, you know, oh, good doggy. Right? See, those guys are working for laughs. In some other class. I guess that's like it's up in my office. So there was a party going out there. I think I heard it was about last. There was a party in my office. Chug off now. Um, and there's behavior modification. We use these things in the real world uh, to in clinical settings. Right? So I talked a little bit about that. Why is this not associated? Oh, I see. Okay. That looks like a strangely colorized picture of B.F. Skinner. Ah, uh, B.F. Skinner. I can call him Fred, that's why I said Fred. Yeah, apparently, by the way, a very, very, very nice man. I never did meet him before he died, but um, apparently a, a killer, really super nice guy. So that's all I've ever heard about him. You remember Togan, the guy with the uh, dust baby? He did his PhD with, uh, with Sim. And he always said, everybody I've ever heard known that with him. Oh, it crashed. That's awesome. Oh, iTunes quit. Like I'm using it. Okay. That was wacky. So, he coins the phrase operating condition. What this means is the animal operates on its environment. You know, like, um, well, instrumental, or what we call it, instrumental learning, operant conditioning, something about skinnerian conditioning, not that much. 
Um, so unlike respondent conditioning, Pavlovian conditioning, classical conditioning, you think what's going on there, the, the environment is operating on the animal, right? The animal has no, I'm gonna use words like control and want, and, all, I don't, and none of them, they're just shorthand, okay? But the animal has no control over the environment when it's having meat powder and, and, and a, uh, a buzzer noise here. The experimenter is doing that. In this case here, the animal say pushing a bar. It's operating on the environment. So he called Pavlovian conditioning respondent conditioning. Okay. And he pioneered the use of what are called free operants. And a free operant is you put the animal in a box and see what it will do. The animal is free, and again, Skinner, probably more than me, was radical about the idea of, of, of no free will. Um, but, again, he's using it as a shorthand. The animal is free to do what it wants. And I'm, stopped, I'm going to stop doing air quotes now because they're stupid. But the animal's free to do it once. So you put the animal in the, in, in the, and he never wanted to call this, by the way, the Skinner box, which I'll show you in a second. You know, it's called an opera chamber. And the animal is free to operate on the environment. Now, certain things it does do good things, like food. Push the bar enough to get some food. And the nice thing, why would you want to use this? Well, it gives us a nice dependent variable, response rate. How many times does the rat push the bar in a minute? How many times does the pigeon peck a key in a minute? Or in some bit of time, whatever you want to use. This is why this is a, a re one of the reasons this is important. The other one, frankly, you can walk away. Remember the puzzle boxes? You got Thorndike, you got Gork, Guthrie, and Horton. These guys, they're constantly putting cats in boxes, and as much fun as that is, you have to stand there and put the cat back in and lock it all back up and wait, start your stopwatch. Then write it down, hit the cat, put it back in, let it get scratched. You get cat scratch fever. <laughs> I rarely quote Ted Nugent because he's a freak. Look, he is, he's nuts. So this is right, you can walk away. Or you can set up. 20 of these chambers and collect a lot of data. And then you've got a nice, instead of like, stopwatch, you've got this beautiful variable called response rate. It's, it's partly theoretical, but it's mostly practical. In fact, and Skinner would have certainly said it was atheoretical. Skinner hated theories. He, had no, he said that nothing he said was ever a theory. He said, I'm simply describing behavior and that's all I'm doing. It's funny, because Skinner quite a sort of scientific approach as far as measurement and all that stuff. But as far as the, the theoretical end, I think his view was psychology isn't ready for theories, don't do it. We can't explain stuff yet, what we can do right now is describe behavior. So he said this was an atheoretical approach. He also did no statistics. And suddenly we went, well, what happened to him? Because uh, he said the mean, the average, describes the behavior of no animal. Which is actually quite a clever thing to say. Um, so you don't, do, you don't do statistics in classic uh, sort of Skinner stuff. You look at responses from one animal. You can't, do, you can't really do stats on one animal anyway. Different approach. Not what I would take. 
there is looking more like mad scientist, really. So the Skinner box, what we actually have here, this allows the researchers, as I said, to walk away. Um, and dependent variable that can be dependent variable that can be easily measured and compare across species, even as unwise as most of those comparisons are. So what you have here, um, these, uh, this is a relay rack. This is basically your old-time computer program. Because what you have here are it's 28 volts DC. That's a timer. Uh, that that let's see, that's a shock generator. That is the paper rolls that it's called a cumulative recorder. The paper rolls at a constant rate, and a little pin is moved along the paper each time the animal pushes this little bar, which you can't really see very well in there. Okay, there's the feeder. So you fill that up with food pellets. They look just like this today, right? Skinner boxes. They look just like that. You fill that up, and then when it's operated, one little food pellet comes out there for the rat, 45 milligram food pellet. Um, what do we have here? That's a stepper. Don't know what that is. But I've wired these things up before, so what you do is there's current going through to all these little points, these little hard points here, and all you do is you connect them with these little snap leads, these little cables. And they're basically a series of, if you program computers, you've done that, a series of if-then statements done with wires. <clears throat> it was a lot of fun to do. It was also, it would make you very angry. Not unlike, again, writing computer code. The difference is that you can't hurt yourself writing computer code. I've made smoke come out of one of those before. This used to be one of those things we all used to all have to have to do this, and then eventually we all moved over to using computer controls. That controlled stuff now. So all this would be done in you know 20 lines of, of visual basic now. But back then it was all mechanical equipment. So it's like a mechanical computer, which you, which you would build each time you did this. And you have these racks that were like 19 and a quarter inches wide, because like that's the size of relay racks with rack mounted gear today, if you have rack mounted so it's actually quite cool, um, and it was a skill you used to have to learn. Uh, both uh, Cheryl and I have done it. I uh, doubt Lori's ever done it. Yeah, we know Cheryl and I. And I also know, like, I remember doing it one time, putting two positives together and then smoke. It's great. Hurt myself. Labs felt bad. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Used to be you had to build these things as part of, if you worked with Skinner, you had to be able to build your own equipment. That was part of getting a PhD with the Skinner. You had to be able to build your own gear. It's kind of neat. Here's a comparison. There's a kitchen box on the left and a rattle on the right. So you see the response keys I talked about? Then you can go over the size of the loony. There's little projectors back here. You can change the filters here to change the colors. This would be done in the dark, by the way. And then the feeder, which you can't really see, is right there. Rats can do with the light. There's a lever right there. And there's a feeder coming in there. The bars on the floor, meaning this can be electrified. Right? And then there's a little drawer here that's full of um, sawdust. So at the end of the experiment, take that out and you dump it. Because the rat they are in there for maybe 45 minutes. They pull with this <coughs> Same with the pigeons. Take that out. Dump it in the sawdust, put the fresh sawdust, and put it back in. Clean it, of course. But the nice thing is, you set these up, and then you walk away. It's like that Popeil oven. You set it, and you forget it. 
So the beautiful thing about this was you got all this data really quickly, and you didn't have to constantly put cats in boxes and, and get it a stopwatch. Because you got the data on that cumulative record like I was talking about. So there's a roll of paper moving along, okay, just rolling like this, and a pen. So you think about that, you've got this big roll of paper here, and there's a pen. Every time there's a, and it rolls at a constant rate, so I know this, I know the elapsed time. Now every time there's a response, the paper's rolling, rolling, response. Like that, see? And then, I guess the top one goes back down. And then there'd be another pen that would say whether reinforcement happened. And just go off like that. So the two pens, and the worst thing that can happen to you is if the ink ran into your little pens. Because they weren't pens, they were like little, like they were pens, but they weren't like big ball points. They were things you had to put red and black ink into. Usually the, this was red and that was black. This is the labs I worked in. Why you use a different ones you did? So it really was, the thing, like I said, you know the speed this thing moves at. We now know exactly at what time each of these responses happened. Again, we do it today with computer equipment. But you know what? When you do this with computer equipment today, and you get the readout on your screen, you still get that. Because everyone has been taught this stuff forever, and that's what you read. It's kind of cool. You get it in the database format, of course, as well. So typically, today, you'll have all that relay rack stuff. You have a little interface that someone's built with a USB dongle, and it plugs right in. Or you build your own interface, which I've done. That was fun. A little solder. I used to know all kinds of cool stuff. It's now completely obsolete knowledge. So, any questions about that? Do you understand what's going on here? So the animal goes in there for maybe an hour. Uh, the animal doesn't live its whole life in there. Uh, sometimes there are experiments like that, but the animal doesn't live its whole, the whole experiment in there. It goes in there for the experiment, it goes back to its home cage. So it's not like it's living its whole life. It goes there for the experiment itself. Okay? Some criticisms of the Skinner box. So when this came out, you've got to understand it was the. This comes out of the 30s. 1930. So there's a real sort of um, epic struggle going on in psychology. And it's between the forces of introspection, that kind of thing, right? The sort of. Call it. Let's call it soft kind of psychology. It's not a fair, a fair word, but that's what you hear. Uh, people that say, you know, we sit in leather chairs and think. Now, that's not what they said, but you know, that kind of thing. Let's talk about the mind. Let's talk about the mind. Let's talk about consciousness. And then that was that force. The other force was people like Skinner saying, what is mind? You can't even measure mind. How do you tell me what consciousness is? Instead, let's just look at observable behavior. So Skinner, Watson, people like that. Okay? And so there were some criticisms level at this approach. Um, the first one was that it's artificial. Yeah, well, duh, yeah, of course it's artificial. We're taking rats and putting them in boxes, electromechanical boxes. Yeah, that's not the way nature is. But as far as criticism, 
If we want to isolate, and this is the same thing I've talked about previously, uh, learning. if we're going to talk about understanding behavior, we have to control all the variables and manipulate one. This is one of the ways to do it. Right? So yeah, it's a criticism. And one could say, well, in, in real life, People don't respond this way. You know, they're going to put in boxes. No, you're right. They don't. They don't. But, well, as we go along talking about operating conditioning, I think you will see that a lot of these ideas, and I don't want you all to become radical behaviorists, but I'll say that all these ideas, they have some explanatory value. Right? We will work for things. And that's all this is. This is animals working for food, usually food. We will work for perfectly meaningless things. Right? We will work for things that have no value and you can't even ever exchange them for goods and services. We will work for Xbox Live achievements. Right? You will do stuff, you will sit there, some of us, I can't wait until tomorrow because I'm going to achieve it more. And then and what happens is the game comes tomorrow. Like, that will go on a work later, and I just can't wait to get thing pops up. Ding! You feel so good. But it says achievement unlocked. And it means nothing. But it makes me happy. Because my gamer score is like 15,985, and like 16,000 looks so much better. So let's take 15 points. I'm sure you'll get that in the first couple of minutes. You know, by the way, the guy that developed Xbox Live Achievements, PhD in psychology, and I'm learning. Yeah. Actually, his name is John Hops. Works for Microsoft. I met him at a video game conference. And I was I went up to go talk to him and I said, So you have a Duke PhD in Duke? He said, You have a Duke, I said, you have a Duke PhD. Who'd you work with? He said, he told me who. I said, Oh, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, he said, wait, you said you're, he looked at my name tag. He said, you're, you're Dave Broadback? I said, that's, that's really. I said, wait a second. Now I have read some of your stuff. Is that animal timing stuff? Is that you? He said, yeah, that's me. I said, yeah, I almost got a job at Duke, but I turned it down and I went out to Newfoundland. He said, really? I said, I would have been replacing Jenny Higa. He said, I did my PhD with the person who replaced Jenny Higa. You would have been my PhD supervisor. I said, I. He said, you know, I have a feeling you would have been a lot more positive with my side stuff doing stuff on video game research. I said, yeah, in fact, I think I probably would have followed you working at Microsoft. My whole life would have been different. But now you have a funny North Carolina accent. So, right? so it's interesting. He, and I said, so Xbox Live Achievements, all they are, and he just nodded at me. He said, yeah, that was my idea. It's just, uh, it's just, re it's just reinforcement. So, many species can be tested in this kind of gear. Everything from, there are opera boxes that have been built for humans. In fact, you know, the, you ever see the Lost? You know the Lost program? Remember that? People land on a, some island and the plane crashes and then everything doesn't make any sense and then they go back in time and forward in time and then there's a whole other timeline that you're not supposed to pay attention to that's actually happening and there's a hatch in the ground and an apple to a computer the end. I think that's how that's the show, right? I think that's the show. 
Um, there was one part, I remember, I, I, I tried watching this show so many times, but you get up and get a beer, and you're screwed. <coughs> you turn, and I have to go far. I got a beer fridge in my freaking living room. But I do. You turn around, you go, you go get a beer, you go, ah, oh, I don't know what happened. And that's it. I don't know what happened anymore. Now, now they're somewhere else. They're all rescued now. What happened? But there is one part where they're, they're, two of them are in a, in a Skinner box. They're in, in the giant Skinner boxes. Remember that one, that part? Yeah. yeah. They're doing manipulating levers and stuff. So it's even affected pop culture. This is where the part you read the Wikipedia article probably instrumental commission. In popular culture, it was in a movie once. <laughs> in the comic book, Wikipedia has its weaknesses. But you can text many species in I've texted chickadees and jungles, uh, uh, brown-headed cowbirds, pigeons, rats, monkeys. Yeah, I've tested all those species in, in, in a box like that. There are several different boxes. And most of those ones I'm talking about, we were using um, computer touch screens and sort of homeworld interfaces, not, not those great big relay packs. There are real-world applications to this, and I mentioned Xbox Live Achievements. Um, that's a, a silly real-world, uh, or if you want, PlayStation trophies. So if you want, that's, uh, that's a silly application, but it is real. People actually do play things for achievements. You see posts on the forums. Did anybody help me get this achievement? I have no life. I'll give you some Microsoft points. But when you look at how people behave in school, the stuff that was discovered in school skinner boxes, teachers use in the real world. Teachers reinforce kids with stickers. Kids work for stamps that have a star on them. Don't they? Right? I'm going to comment on any test that gets an A. There's something random usually. Depending if I know the person, I might have something specific about them. But that's done for a reason. I want people to try to get A's. Okay? It's just reinforcement. People work for it. I used to use stickers, but um, I ran out and didn't want to buy anyone. That's what happened. My daughter had a lot of stickers. So I stole my kids' stuff. <laughs> This is the kind of sacrifice I make for you, the home viewer. Right? Um, the, 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 the clinical aspect here. The idea of reinforcing behavior you like and perhaps punishing behavior you don't like. The idea of behavior analysis all comes from this. All comes from stuff in the Skinner box. You can take kids that are pretty, pretty not well-functioning, let's say, autistic people, and get them to sit in a classroom and learn. And that's done through awkward conditioning. That's done through reward, reinforcement. That's how it works. There's a reason that that kind of therapy is so freaking expensive because it has to be done by someone who knows what they're doing, but also they have to be around all the time. Right? 
So a lot of times, while the stuff that putting a pigeon in a box or a woman in a binder, binders for the women, let's keep going with that thing until the election. Actually, any Americans here? I don't want to hear reading in their election. I'm not trying because I don't want to talk politics. I never talk any politics. I won't do it. But I'll talk American politics all day long. Um, so you put, nobody puts baby in a corner. Um, or Hillary in a binder. But, just because we found something out with a pigeon in a box, we can also take it and help an autistic kid sit in a regular classroom and actually get the experience of a real classroom. And the other kids learn about being around an autistic kid and all that sort of stuff. Right? And that's all from this stuff. That's how it works. This operant conditioning is what people use to help children with autism. Adults. Earlier, so it's better for It's also used to stop self-injurious behavior in severely autistic people. One of the things that severely autistic, some severely autistic people do is they, they, they hurt themselves. We don't know why. The guess is, um, this is a guess, they aren't, autism is an executive functioning disorder at some level. So you all know where your hands are. It's like one of those things, even if you think about that, you know where your arms are. And you'll see this, right? In fact, on the DSM-4, that's one of the uh, arm flapping. It's one of the uh, symptoms of autism. And the guess, I've asked my son why he does it. He says it feels good. Either I don't know or it feels good. But the, the guess here is that it's reminding you where the rest of your body is. And you take that to the logical extreme, you bang your head against the wall. How do you stop that? Well, every time they do it, you shock them. And I know it doesn't sound nice, but I'd rather have my kid get shocked 30 or 40 times and never bang his head against the wall again than not ever shock him and just sit there and have to, have to wear a hockey helmet for his whole life. And that's serious stuff. Like I, you know, it, it's it may not be hitting head against it, it might be scratching to the point where you bleed, things like that. So I mean, it's serious stuff. You can control it. Pretty amazing, right? And those are happy stories because you get people that are have more likely to be able to function in regular society, in normal society. Yes, I said normal. I'm the one with the, with, the, with the disabled kid. I can say normal all I want. There's no such thing as normal, man. Yes, there is. It's what most people do. It's a statistical term. It means the norm. But what is normal? Plus or minus one standard deviation from the mean. Got any more questions? <laughs> so therapy stuff. Right? We get people to do stuff through conditioning all the time. And frankly, the other thing is to me, like, who cares if it's artificial? It's kind of cool to find out how stuff works, and I just think it's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what else is artificial? CERN and making Higgs bosons. That's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Well, they want to understand fundamental questions about how the universe works. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Right? So know how stuff works to me. I mean, I don't, most people don't think of this as an actual response. Is it artificial? I, I think it's a real response. Knowing stuff is fun. Right? That's, if you don't think it is, that's fine. It just seems to me that learning stuff is neat. 
you know, there are some people that want to watch the Discovery Channel and some people that don't want to watch TLC. My mom, the whole time I was there, have you seen this TLC? No, I haven't, Mom. I really haven't. My whole experience with TLC was my mom telling me that these shows exist. I said, how do you know? I don't watch them, she says. Well, how do you know about them? Then I turned the TV on, it was on TLC. She'd been watching it. <laughs> so I electrified the floor. <laughs> my mom's actually quite an intellectual. You know, we all have our guilty pleasures. Apparently, that's hers. But I don't know what some of these things are. People talk about this honey boo boo stuff. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I don't want to know either. But that's all I want to know. I may be mispronouncing it. It may be the wrong name. That's all. Because all I know is it's probably going to somehow rot part of me, like my brain or something. So I don't want to know what it is. I remember back when it was then for the Learning Channel, and it was like really hardcore educational stuff. And apparently, it's not anymore. Okay, um, some key terms here. Uh, some of them will seem similar to the classical imaging ones, uh, some of those, but I'll mention when some of you will. I'll mention when some of these are similar. Um, the first thing is a discriminative, it's hard to say, stimulus, or SD. All this, all an SD is, is it says that the contingencies are active. In other words, now that this is happening, it's true that if you peck the thing, you peck the little disc, you'll get food. So for example, the little disc, as you saw that, that pigeon, when it's not lit up, doesn't matter how many times the pigeon pecks, nothing happens. When the pigeon pecks, sorry, when the light comes on and it's green, that's an SD. Right? So it just means the contingencies are active. Pecking will now get you food. So we call it a three-term contingency. Because if you remember with Pavlovian, it's sort of a two-term contingency. CS leads to US. Here it's SD, then response, then reinforcement. So SD, response, reinforcement. That's the three-term contingency. And sort of, and again, I guess I know these words like theory, and I know Skinner wouldn't like it, but he never knew me, and he doesn't know where I live, and he's dead. Um, in classical sort of Skinnerian theory, if you want to say that, one leads to the other. The, the association, and Skinner didn't want to talk about associations, but people like Auckland psychology would say the SD is associated with the response, which is associated with the reinforcement. So it's bang, 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 one after the other. This isn't three, in their terms, this isn't three things that are put together in a representation. And I'd say that, but that's not what they say. And I'm still alive, which should show you that, you know, I'm right. Okay, uh, this should be very, sim very, uh, very similar, rather, sorry, to the uh, Pavlovian concept, acquisition. This is when the animal is learning the three-term contingency. It's not responding at peak rate. Okay? The animal is learning the three-term contingency. So it's acquiring.
Uh, just like, you know, you do CSUS, and at the beginning, the animal is an asymptote yet it isn't responding fully. Also, just like habituation. At first, the animal responds a little bit, a little bit less, a little bit less. See, this phase of learning happens in all kinds of learning that we've talked about so far. Extension. What you're doing here is once the animal, now, when the animal plateaus, it's learned it, and you think that's when you do most of your work. But what if you make it now so that when the animal responds, it doesn't get any reinforcement. You break the three-term contingency, the animal stops responding. Right? The animal eventually says, well, apparently, pecking this key is now a waste of my time. I'm going to stand here and go, and crap with it. <laughs> That's what pigeons think about. That's how they work. Except it's not really poop. It's like poop and pee in one. That's why it's so. That's why bird shit is so horrible. That's why it damages your tires. That's it. It's not just poop. These are the things you learn. See, this is the kind of stuff you can. Somebody can say, "What you learn in school today?" And bird shit is also piss. You know, you can say. <laughs> Classy. Um, it's funny, that day though, so you've got the animal to the point where he's not responding anymore. My fun experiment for the day is done. You put the animal back and you pick the pigeon up, um, which is a feat that's own right for the duck fork. Rats are different, rats are that big. You're pretty clearly the boss of a rat. And if you're afraid of them, you put gloves on, leather gloves on and they can't hurt you. You most people don't use gloves, most people eventually pick them up. With pigeons, they're a lot bigger than they move. Why? And those wings are strong because they can fly. And then they get out and they fly around the lab and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's the first time that happens to you and you go to your, your, your professor, you know, and you go, oh, one of the pigeons is loose. <laughs> it's, this happened when I had my lab and I remember, I think it happened Wayne was running some of my stuff and it happened to a bunch of other people running my stuff and it's like, uh, Dave, what? One of the pigeons loose? Because they had that look in their face, you know. Then I knew they were okay, I'll go and use I don't have any, because I'm not afraid of pigeons. <laughs> what are you afraid of, right? Yeah. So you just grab the thing and you, how do you do that? You show his boss, pick it up. And you've got to grab it like that around um, where its head's facing out and hold it like this. And it's funny, you know how you wave it? You put it in a juice container, head first, and weigh them, because they're like down like this in the container. <laughs> They don't move. It doesn't hurt them. You just put them in carefully, of course. And then I remember once in the lab uh, when I was a postdoc, there was one bird um, called Mr. Poopy Pants. <laughs> um, so we used to chase them. <laughs> Me and Mike, uh, it's Mike Boiler, I remember uh, we, whenever he was running that bird that day, you pick it up and you just sort of take it up to the other guy and hold it. No! <laughs> and then the guy who's laughing was skating one day. What are you guys doing? Uh, we're chasing each other with pigeons, hoping they'll shit on each other. <laughs> I won't do it again, sorry. <laughs> Why did I tell you? How did I get here? Anyway, spontaneous recovery. The next day, you put the, the pigeon back in the, in the box. That's right, because I was talking about how handling pigeons wasn't easy. You, you put the pigeon back in the box, you put the light on, and the pigeon starts picking. Yesterday, he was no bad. Then I get back. 
oh, doesn't that remind you exactly, completely, totally of what happens with classical conditioning? Or habituation, it's savings, right? Or an house. So it all is following the same rules. That's kind of neat. That's, that's quite cool, you think about it. It's even cool if you don't think about it. It's just cool. Uh, animals will generalize. Personally, I hate all people that generalize. You get that? It's a joke. See, because all people who generalize. Okay. Tough room. So, let's say your S plus, your stimulus, the screw stimulus, like the one you uh, give food for, pecking at, is 440 hertz. Lovely middle C. Pigeons love a good middle C. And you get the response rate. And then you go down to say <laughs> 420. And up to 460. And then you go down to 400 and up to 480. That looks familiar. It's exactly what happens with habituation. It's exactly what happens with conditioning, right? Generalization. You know, from now on, I hope that when you think of 420, you will think of pigeons pecking at keys and not idiots going, <laughs> 420. <laughs> Gotta get tired of that. I love the number of like 14 year olds on Xbox Live whose name is XXX420 whatever. You know. It's always a bunch of X's too. Oh, that's cool. Way to go. Three X's, then 420, then, you know, Noob Killa XXX. Dude, you know, come up with something better. D Broadback is where I use it. It's my name. You know what Dwayne's Xbox Live name is? Dwayne Keogh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great. We were playing with another in the lobby once in Modern Warfare 2. We're waiting in the game, and people are making fun of his name. And it's like, you guys are making fun of his actual name. <laughs> <laughs> and your name is like, Lee, whatever, idiot. <laughs> but you think a real person's name is something to make fun of. Wow. Well, anyway. <laughs> One of the things we do is we do condition reinforcement. This is using secondary reinforcers, and then you can actually you can reinforce using three-turn contingency using a condition reinforcer. So all you've done here is you've taught the animal that we used it before that the, the secondary reinforcer as a um, when you're training the animal to, to, to approach the feeder with the feeder. <laughs> but you can actually get animals to work for stuff, <coughs> just like you with people. We work for money. You can get animals to work for all kinds of things. All you have to do is you classically condition, um, say, a, a tone with food. Now then work for the tone. Right? That's something I'll always see they'll work for. In other words, they will, it, it, it supports learning. You'll, you'll get responding, uh, you get reinforcement from that. <coughs> see, reinforcement, there's this idea that reinforcement 
has to be something biologically causative, and it needn't be. It's just something that causes an increase in responding. So tests reinforce studying behavior, right? Because you take, you study more, the closer you get to a test. Don't, most of us don't think of tests as being these biologically relevant and important stimuli, yet they do support studying behavior in most of you, right? So tests are, are, are reinforcers. In fact, they're primary reinforcers. That's not the secondary reinforcer probably at all, right? But typically, we think of a primary reinforcer as something biologically relevant. So we need a conditioned reinforcement. We can actually teach the animal that, you know, to work for, for a noise. To work for a noise. One of the things you can get is you can get what are called response chains, where you can get the animal to do like respond to the light ten times, then move over and respond to a different colored light five times, then go over here and do this. So you can actually have very complicated behavior, and then at the end, the animal gets reinforced. And if it doesn't do one part of the chain, it doesn't lead to the next thing. So like. like Ten responses here, then five responses here, and four over here, then 27 over here, and then you get your little piece of food. This is how Skinner taught pigeons to play ping pong. And I'm dead serious. <laughs> dead serious. Yeah? Is a response chain the same thing as a reaction chain? Uh, reaction chain is... Yeah, in a way, but of course it's, it's, it's sort of an innate thing. Yeah, whereas in essence, yeah, that's similar. This is something we've trained, we've trained, we've trained the animal to do, though. And usually, um, and you can get very complicated stuff out of it, just like you can't react to chance. That's a good point. Um, have you ever seen, you ever go to like a, see, I grew up in London, and there's a Western fair, it's a big deal, and it's like a big fall fair, and there's animals and stuff like that. It's like you live in the country, except you live in a city of 200 and, well, whatever, then 225,000 people. But anyway, they often have things like chickens that play tic-tac-toe. And people would be like, oh, that's amazing. That chicken's smart. It's beating people at tic-tac-toe. First of all, if you know the rules, it's who goes first. That's who wins. Right? All you've had to do is teach the damn chicken. Go here and here and here. And you know, oh, one here, here, here. That's all they've done. It's nothing magical. Skinner taught two pigeons to have a conversation. I did air quotes. I can't believe I just did. Because they would get different colored, uh, different lights that had different words all printed on them. So one pigeon would peck hello, and the other pigeon, pigeon saw hello, and mother would say, hello to you. <laughs> How are you? The other pigeon would peck, I am fine. Yourself? Skinner trying to say, look, all I did was learn to reinforce it, which clearly isn't, and that's kind of where, that was probably the downfall of radical behaviorism, was saying, yeah, yeah, sure, we learned 50,000 words on how to create brand new sentences for reinforcement. It seems unlikely. But you can get really complicated behavior here. Right? Really complicated stuff. How do you think they train animals to do all, all these things they do in movies on rodeos? I don't know. Rodeo? What the hell am I talking about? 
you know, we're gladiatorial games. <laughs> right? So I mean, you think about it, all these you know, animals that are in movies, TV shows, how do you think they train these things? They, they use reinforcement. It's all of it. Simple reinforcement, right? And it's long reaction chain, no response chain. So what you do is you get the animal, once there's a swing of stimulus, whatever that may be, it's using some signal from the animal wrangler on the movie set. See that? I use technical terms there because I'm pretty hip with the Hollywood scene. And uh, then the animal starts to do whatever it has to do at the end, off camera, he gets a cookie. That's actually how they get Kevin Costner to act as well. <laughs> Kevin Costner plays himself in every movie. Right? Even in that Robin Hood movie when he put on that fake British accent for half the movie. Half the movie. Then it was gone halfway through. Right? Is he in Bull Durham? Is he in, you know, The Postman? Is it Waterworld? He's always in shitty movies. So how does he make it? Anyway. All right. Oh, I've ranted about Kevin Costner enough. Um, I'll see you guys next time. We'll continue talking about this stuff. Thanks, guys. Drink a beer in the morning. I fell asleep without a warning. Fighting that is when I fly and I'm gonna be landing on you. That's how it is. The kitchen floor is stuck all day. We might so turn out the light cause I'm gonna be calling on you. You got beer, rice, whiskey is tight and I got no money. It's beer tonight. It's time podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.